Amen. Please be seated. If you're an elementary-aged person, would you walk out these doors? And same if you're a middle-aged school kiddo, head out those doors and go to wonderful Bible study. Greatest thing ever. All right, well, see, there are a few of us who survived uh, Thanksgiving. The others apparently did not make it. So it happens. Sometimes the turkey is too much for the man. Um, and that last song, I, I just can't, we're singing and I'm thinking, you know, part of it's singing to the Lord, but the chorus of that song, you know who that song is sung to? Christ is risen from the grave, overcome death, come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. That is our song to the unbeliever. Do you know that? That is what we say to this broken world, that Christ rose from the grave, come awake. Oh, whew, don't forget that. This week, church, okay? And it rolls right into any sermon anybody could ever preach from the Bible. So, um, but Advent is this wonderful time where, Advent means this, this waiting. And so we look at this time of year where the world just goes nuts. I mean, gosh, they started selling Christmas stuff in August, which, I don't know, I love Christmas. And when we lived in Guatemala for 10 years, we set up our Christmas stuff on November 1st, because that was... That was Dia de los Santos, and then after that, there was nothing. It was Christmas, and so that's when a beer company in Guatemala set up a giant tree, and whenever they set that up, the Gallo tree, I knew it was my signal to decorate. And so, but here, nope, my wife was robbed of fall for a decade, and so we celebrate Thanksgiving, we decorate, we don't do it till the day after, but it's already up. So, so I don't mind selling things, but it just goes crazy, um, and yet, as we're driving yesterday, I'm listening on the radio, and it's like the one time of year where the entire world will listen to the gospel played over and over and over and over and over again. I love it. And so that's good. So it's also really, people are just, they're, they're, they're hearing Jesus' name. So let's take advantage of it. And as we go into Advent, we look back at this incredible thing that happened in the incarnation, and we live in this tension waiting for his second coming. Jesus is coming back. That is the chorus of the church. He came and he died and he rose from the grave. We are his servants now and he is coming back. And so we are starting this Advent series. And, you know, today is December 1st. So just to remind you, um, this is the last month of 2019. Um, it's crazy. It's nuts. We have, as a church, we finished the book of John. We had this wonderful series this summer called The Ordinary, where we looked at God working the lives of the ordinary people in the Scripture. We, we looked at uh, 1 Peter, where we paused that to, uh, to have our, our time of stewardship. And now we're entering this season of Advent. We're doing a little <clears throat> series called uh, The Unexpected. And we're looking at where God has shown up in Christ as the Messiah in these unexpected places, places where no one would have expected the Messiah to be or ever expected him to come out of. And the, today we're going to be looking at this very unique person, Mary, and the reality that God shows up in the womb of this poor, engaged girl. And it is a totally unexpected place for God to come into the world. And so please pray with me as we, uh, as we get ready to jump into Luke chapter 1. Lord, we love you. Lord, I thank you that you came and saved us. I, I can never stop being 
amazed and just bowled over with wonder at the mystery of the incarnation. Help us to be people who can embrace glorious mystery that can, by faith, walk in things we don't fully comprehend. We thank you that you came and you died for our sins and you rose from the dead to give us new life. We thank you that you are coming again and we, we call out with the chorus of the, all of believers from all of history, come Lord Jesus, we are ready. And yet today we wait, Lord, and we have to live our lives and breathe our breaths here and now. And so we ask for you to help us. As we pray every week, I want you to pray and ask the Lord. Ask him to help you learn what he wants you to learn today. Just take a moment and ask him to do that. I want you to take a moment to pray for someone else. That the Lord would teach them what they need to learn today. He would encourage them. Lord, we stand in awe of who you are. We stand in awe of the gospel, of this beautiful story. And we just peer into this passage in Luke chapter 1, and we just ask you to help us understand, help us to learn, help us to apply well the scripture today. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we'll be in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, where we'll be starting. And the context of this, of course, is uh, the, the birth of John the Baptist has just been foretold to Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, to become pregnant with, with John the Baptist. And in verse 26, we have this. In the sixth month, that's of Elizabeth's pregnancy, or of John, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Wow. So Mary is an extraordinary human. There's no doubt about that. And as we look at this passage Let's just kind of break it down. It, so it says in the sixth month, uh, God sent this angel Gabriel. So Gabriel only shows up by name in this story with, with Zechariah and with, with Mary and then to the, uh, to the prophet Daniel. Uh, he's, other angels talk to people, maybe that's Gabriel, but he's only named in these two places. 
But it's interesting, it says, God sent the angel Gabriel. You need to remember that God is the one who initiated all of this. He sends the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, which was just a tiny little backwater village, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. So she was uh, betrothed, which uh, carried today an engagement is, is obviously, I mean, binding, we get a ring and it's a big deal. And if you break an engagement, it's sad and all these things. But back then, a betrothal was, was much more serious. They were, in the eyes of, of, of the culture, they were basically married. They just hadn't had the ceremony yet. And so he comes to this young woman. And it says the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So on any other day, this would be good news. Like you see this creature who looks like he's made out of lightning. And he shows up to you, Mary, in this little backwater village. And he says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Like that's a win. And then he says, the Lord is with you. So we think Mary's response would be like, high five, Gabriel. Like, I am doing it. Yes, I am, I am favored. So we see Mary's response here, though. And it says, she was greatly troubled. The word means like agitated, disturbed, bothered, upset, confused. It's not like Mary is sitting there jumping up in the air. She is bothered. She's deeply troubled at his words and then she wonders that word literally means to reason through it's a compound word and so she is confused she's perplexed she's troubled and she is addressing her trouble by thinking i love it i love this girl she's amazing she's greatly troubled at his words and then she engages her mind she starts reasoning through what kind of greeting this might be so Mary does not just get lost in the emotionalness of it or in the greatness of the news. She just has this angel come up and says, Greetings, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. And Mary's like, hmm, something's up. We know that Mary knows the word of God. In her song later in this chapter, which I encourage you to read, it is just chock full of Old Testament references, particularly from the Psalms. This, this girl knows her Bible. And she knows that when an angel shows up, like something's going on. It's not just that he's coming up to be like, just wanted you to tell you, Mary, God sent me, Gabriel, to you just to tell you you're awesome and he's with you. Thumbs up. She knows that something's going on. And then in verse 30 it says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. And he speaks into her fear with what? He says, Mary, you have found favor with God. He gives her the most... The, the, the greatest gift that someone can give someone who is afraid, and that is peace. And he says, do not be afraid. And then he, he conquers her fear with the truth. He doesn't say, never mind, now it's all good, I'm, I'm going away. He says, no, you have found favor with God. And then he really lays into the news. You're going to have a baby. And it's going to be a son, and you're going to give him the name Jesus, which is the, the Hebrew name uh, of Joshua, or Yeshua, which means uh, Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. It's a common name. And he says that he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. House of Jacob is a metonymy for the people of Israel. And his kingdom will never end. Does that sound exactly like what David just read from Isaiah chapter 9? It's the exact same 
sequence, the throne of David reigning over Jacob and his kingdom will have no end. That can only mean the Messiah. And so Gabriel comes up to Mary and is like, highly favored one, guess what? You're going to have a baby and it's going to be the Messiah. It is mind-blowing news. For us, looking back, we're like, well, of course, Mary, da 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 the baby, yep, we're all, you see it over Christmas. For Mary, she is a Jew in occupied uh, Nazareth, occupied by the Roman government, and she knows the prophecy, she knows the book of Isaiah, she knows this is happening, she knows that the entire nation is waiting for this Messiah to come, and the angel Gabriel shows up and says, Mary, it's you, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. I mean, she should probably pass out. It's incomprehensible news. And so she answers, or she asks this, this, this beautiful, humble, practical question. I love her, her question. Okay, she says, how can this be, Mary asks, since I am a virgin? See, Mary, Mary knows that you got not pregnant, and then you have having a baby, and you, something's got to happen between those two things. And Mary's like, that ain't happened. And you're talking about me having a baby. I'm missing something. I'm missing something very important. It's, it's this, I love this question of hers. It's not a doubtful question like Zechariah before, who wonders and then he can't talk. Mary is just asking this, how is that going to work? Love it. It's a great question. That's an okay question to ask the Lord, by the way. How is this going to work? And so then the angel answers her, and his answer literally could not be more unexpected. Read this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. I want you to think about in Genesis chapter 1 that there's this chaos, and then it says that the Spirit of God hovered above the waters. This idea of the the, the word for hovered is really that literally means to, to brood like a mother hen or a bird uh, covers up her, her wings, her, her uh, chicks with her wings, and she is brooding over this idea of this uh, poetic imagery of the Holy Spirit brooding over creation. That the creative power of God is coming over this emptiness to create life. And so it says the Holy Spirit will come upon you then the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And I want you to think back like to Exodus chapter 40. So we've got the nation of Israel, right? They get called out. The Lord calls Moses to go in and rescue the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And they get rescued by these miraculous signs. And they come out and they are redeemed through the water of the Red Sea. And they're on the other side and they become the covenant people of God. They say, we will obey your covenant and then they make this tabernacle, and they make this ark, and they make this holy place, and they set it all aside. And in the last paragraph of Exodus, of the book, the temple, the tabernacle is ready. And the, the Spirit of God descends in a cloud upon the temple. And His glory comes out, and not even Moses can go near it. And it's this idea of this overpowering cloud of God's glory overshadowing Mary. This creative, mysterious, glorious presence is going to come over Mary. Then it says, so the Holy One, that New American Standard says, 
And for that reason, he will be called holy. And he will be called the Son of God. This idea that because this is happening, Mary, your son will be holy like no other son was ever holy. And it brings to the forefront this wonderful doctrine of the virgin birth that we're going we're gonna to run down that rabbit trail right now. And this idea that something had to be different about the Messiah than with any other person. And we're going to look at why. And to do that, we're going to go into Genesis chapter 5. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 5. We've had creation, we've had the fall, we've had Cain and Abel, and then we have Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. It says, this is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man or Adam or mankind. So look at this. When God made humanity, he made them in the likeness of who? In his likeness, in his image. That humankind bears the image of God. We were created in his image, different from all the other creation. That we have a spiritual image upon us that nothing else does. In God's image. Now look at verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness and in his image. You see this break? We have this creation with Adam and Eve who are made perfect in God's image. And then sin enters the picture. They rebel against the Lord. They disobey his commands. And then sin comes upon them. From Adam all the way to us, there's an issue. And that issue is this. That every person who is born is born in the likeness of their father. In Adam's likeness in his own image what does that mean well now we're going to go to the new testament a lot of times in the bible there is something that is given mention in the old testament then it is more fully explained in the new testament so that makes it really hard a lot of times to understand the new testament if you don't read the old so get in there and read the old one but and then read the new and then read them both again just keep reading the bible but anyway in Romans chapter 5 Paul takes basically the last half of that chapter to explain this concept of he doesn't talk about the virgin birth explicitly, but why is it important that Jesus was born to a virgin? So stick with me. There's a lot of words here, so hopefully it'll all make sense by the time we get done with it. We're in Romans chapter 5. Thanks, Jenny. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. 512. So in Genesis, you had Adam and Eve being born, are being created in God's image, and then everybody born after Adam is then made, uh, born in the likeness of their father. They have Adam's fallen likeness, his fallen sin. So in Romans 5, 12, it says this. <clears throat> and Paul is going to be comparing Adam to Jesus. He's going to be over and over, Adam to Jesus. You're going to see it through this whole passage. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin as by breaking a command as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. So, therefore, so sin enters the world through this man, through Adam, 
and that death comes through sin. And in this way, death has come to all men because all of us, not only do we have this, the seeds of this fallen nature, but then we all go ahead and sin. There's lots of debate about whether or not when people sin and at what age they sin. And, and like A.W. Tozer just said, you know, I don't know when it happens, but as soon as we know how, we get right on to sinning. And if you've ever, like, raised, anybody who's raised children has no doubt of the fallen human nature. I mean, from, like, babies. Anyway, love babies, but they're fallen just like I was. So there's this idea that because not only do we have this sinful nature, but we also sin. Then it says, but before the law was given, sin was in the world. See, when the law of Moses came, it wasn't that law that brought sin. It just explained to the nation of Israel what sin was. Like, okay, so when you worship something other than God, when you murder, when you lie, when you commit adultery, that is sin, and it explains what sin is. But sin was already there. Look at verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Moses did, that all of those were in sin because of the pattern that came from Adam. Verse 15, but the gift of grace is not like the trespass or the sin. It's very different. It's going to be comparing now grace to sin. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? This argument from lesser to greater. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. So Adam and Adam's sin comes and it brings condemnation to all mankind. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification or declared righteousness. So Jesus is, what Jesus did has come after, even after all this sin, and he has this moment in time that he died once for all time, and he accomplished declared righteousness for all who believe in him. For if by the trespass of the one, Adam, death reigned, through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass, Adam's sin, was condemnation for all men. This is, this is John 3, 16, 17, and 18. So also the result of the one act of righteousness was justification, justification or declared righteousness that brings life to all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, many were made sinners, so through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. This idea that not that sin got any worse with the law, but then they could then have the, the law shed light into what sin was. And it still does today. You can talk to somebody and they can say, well, I don't believe in the concept of sin. I say, well, have you ever lied? I've never met a person who says no, but, and then you can say, well, have you ever murdered anyone? No. Have you ever hated anyone? Uh, have you ever wanted to hate someone? Mm. Ask a guy, have you ever lusted after a woman with your eyes? I mean, brothers, not one of us is free from that one. Have you ever envied your neighbor? Have you ever looked and thought, boy, I wish I had that. That's all sin. Have you ever worshipped something other than the Lord? Um, yes, like every morning. The law just shows us where sin is. It's wonderful. It's like a light showing us, look, you're broken. Do you see this wound in you? Look at it. And then Jesus brings the solution. 
the law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased or abounded, grace increased or abounded all the more. It's this idea that no matter how high sin jumps, grace always outjumps it. So that just as sin reigned in death, so grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's this idea of that men and women, humankind, stands condemned because of Adam's sin. And that those who believe in Christ Jesus are then released from that condemnation and given eternal life. It's the gospel through and through. The Adamic nature is our fallen sin nature. And we now have a new nature in Christ. It's mind-blowing. Why is it important then that Mary was a virgin? Because every person who's ever been born has a mom and a dad. Now, in Mary's time, there was only one way to do that. Now there's in vitro, and there's lots of other creative ways that we've come up with. But no matter what, every human's got a mom and a dad. Everyone that's ever lived. And if you have a dad, then the nature, the sin nature of Adam has passed through the father into the child. Jesus broke that curse. When it says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One will be b- to be born will be called the Son of God. The reason Jesus can be called the Son of God is because of the virgin birth. It's a remarkably important piece of theology. It's remarkably important because without the virgin birth, Jesus can't be the Messiah. Jesus can't be God because he would be stained by the same corrupted nature that every human being has. So it's deeply important that we understand that. Now, Mary may not be thinking all that through, but when we go back and read the scripture, we have to take what's there. And what's there is the deep importance of the virgin birth. Very important. Okay, off the rabbit trail, back onto the main trail. So, Jesus, Jesus, Gabriel, lots of people in this story. Jesus is in it too, but Gabriel is there, and he's talking to uh, this sweet girl, Mary, whose, whose mind is blown. There's no possible way that she's just sitting there thinking, well, it was a pretty good day. I was out, you know, I was grinding some grain, this angel comes, tells me I'm going to be the Messiah to the, of the mom to the Messiah. I don't know. I figured I'd just go and take a nap and see how the rest of the day goes. So Gabriel's talking to her, and remember her question? How is that going to happen? And his answer is, the glorious, mysterious, creative power of God is going to overcome you, overshadow you. And he is going to conceive his son in your womb. You want to talk about unexpected. No one was expecting that. I mean, they should have been because Isaiah prophesied about it. But no one was expecting it to come to Mary. And then the angel goes to explain, Gabriel goes to explain about, to give evidence really, of God's capacity to do this. He says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. We want to change that around to make it say, with God all things are possible. But this phrasing here in the, in the original language, it's, it's this double negative. It gives this extra power to it. Nothing is impossible with God because it's answering our objection to God's work. We see this and we say, well, that's impossible. That is impossible. And Gabriel says, no, it's not. 
If you look back at verse 19, he says, The angel answered Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Gabriel came from God's presence to this little village, to this young girl, and said, you're going to be the mother to the Messiah. And she's like, how? He's like, it's because God is doing it. I see him. I know who he is, and nothing is impossible with him. Remember who he is, Mary. He's God Almighty, and nothing is impossible with him. We all need to hear that. All of us need to hear that. And look at how Mary responds. I I would probably just run away. Be like, hey, you know what? Lots of other folks out there. I'm, mm -mm. I'm done. This is too much for me. And her response says, I am the Lord's servant. That word for servant is really an old word that's a, a bond servant. And it means someone who would willingly sell themselves into the servitude of another person. The root of that word means to tie or to bind something. So what Mary is saying, she's saying, I'm going to untie my will and I'm going to tie myself to the will of God. What a remarkable young woman. I am the Lord's bondservant. I will willingly choose to lay aside my own will and surrender myself into his. Remarkable. And then she says unbelievable words. May it be to me as you have said. Gabriel just told her the Lord is miraculously going to impregnate you with the Messiah. The holy, the most high, triune God is going to overshadow you and miraculously bring about the Savior of the world through your little womb. And her response is, so be it. She is walking in absolute, unfettered dependence upon God. It's remarkable. Then the angel left her. So normally I kind of look at these things and I try to pull out all these applications and I just want to look at two. I want to focus on two words. One is believe and the other is seek. Mary has to believe all this, right? That's what's evidenced in, in, in verse 38. She believes that this will happen. May it be to me as you have said. She's not just acquiescing to the overpowering majesty of God. She's also believing that he can do it. So I want to encourage you to believe in the Lord in the unexpected. When have you in your life looked to the Lord and said, that's impossible? It's impossible. Impossible. It can't be done. How many times have you said that? I've said it. Have you said to the Lord, Lord, I know, look, I know, I know you're God. You cannot fix this. You cannot save this marriage. You cannot redeem it. How many times have you done that? Have you looked at your life and said, it is impossible that I can become better organized. It's impossible that I could actually be kind to my brother. It's impossible that I could stay married to this person. It's impossible that my mother and I could have a good relationship. It's impossible that I could go and talk to my neighbor about Jesus and my neighbor who is, uh, let's just throw them all in there. They're a, 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 a gay, Democrat, drug lord, uh, uh, immigrant, um, a wife beater. They can't come to Jesus? That's impossible. How dare we say that to God? That is what Gabriel is saying. He is telling Mary, I stand in God's presence. Don't you dare tell me he can't do something. 
How dare we look to our fallen neighbor and say, you're beyond redemption. Who do we think God is? He saved a wretch like me, and he saves a wretch like you too. He is the God who comes to Moses and says, who had been running from him for 40 years, calls to him from a burning bush and says, I want you to go tell my people you're free. He is the God who does that. He is the God who looks to a pagan Moabite woman, Ruth, and he makes her the great-grandmother of King David. He is the God who looks to David, who is the youngest son, out in the field. He wasn't even in the selection process. And Samuel comes up to anoint the king, and Samuel's like, the king isn't here. David's dad's like, well, the little one's out in the field watching the sheep. And Samuel's like, bring him. He's the one. He is the same God who looks and takes a man like John Newton, who was a slave trader. He sold humans to other humans. And he gets saved and pens a hymn where he says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How dare we tell God what he cannot do. So what in your life have you told God is impossible? Have you told him it is impossible that you heal my marriage? Can't be done. In one sense, you're right. If you look at God and say, I don't believe. Well, guess what? Don't think he's going to help. You can look at Jesus all day long and say, I don't believe. And it's not going to help yet. Every unbelieving soul who's ever been saved has to believe have to believe that when the bible says that nothing is impossible with god that the bible knows more than you do or that the god who wrote it knows more than you do maybe you're looking at a mountain of debt and you're saying there's no way in the world we're ever going to be debt free really why because you want nice sweaters get over yourself submit to god and do what he says what about if you look to your neighbor and you said, there's no way that person's ever going to be saved. Really? Well, why not go out and talk to him about Jesus? Just walk up to him and sing the song we sang. Walk up, knock on the door and say, hey, you know this is weird, but Christ has risen from the dead. Over, he's overcome death. Come awake, you're, you're dead in your sin. Look like a fool. So what? Wouldn't it be great to be fools for the Lord? Do you think Mary was important in her society? Mary was absolutely inconsequential. She was a poor girl marrying another poor guy in a tiny little village. In a, it, was, it wasn't even an important province in the Roman kingdom. It was just Mary. Was she inconsequential to the Lord? No. <laughs> she was unique in all of history. And so are you. And so is that person that you're saying that God can't fix. So be careful what you say God can't do. I want you to take whatever that thing is that you are telling God it's impossible for him to fix. And I want you to do what Mary did. Which I want you to surrender your entire concept of who you are to the Lord's goodness. I am the Lord's servant. I will release my free will, what I want to do, and I will release it into the will of God. May it be to me as you have said. Maybe you're saying, I've never been able to walk. I'll never walk in joy. I'll never display the fruits of the Spirit. Hmm. Nothing is impossible with God. So believe Him to do it. So believe in the Lord and the unexpected. And then I want you to seek 
the Lord in the unexpected. No one expected the Messiah to come this way. Not to her, right? Not to Mary. He was supposed to be a king. So he was going to like come from some queen, right? Mary's not a queen at all. Jesus grew up poor. Do you hear that? He grew up poor, and he stayed that way because it didn't matter. No one was expecting Jesus. Even his disciples were like, all right, here he is, raising people from the dead, doing cool stuff. When do we fight? Just didn't get it. They didn't get it. They wanted a Messiah to come and conquer, and he is. When he comes back, he's not coming to debate. He's coming to rule. But right now, we're waiting, just like they were waiting. I want you to seek the Lord in the unexpected. What does that look like? You know the guys in the green vest that are selling magazines on the side of the road? Um, buy one from us. They are homeless people, and there's an agency, and they give these guys the magazines, and they sell the magazines, and those guys are, 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 are trying to work their way out of homelessness. Could God be working in the life of the stinky, dirty, homeless guy on, in the green vest? Mm -hmm. Because he works in the unexpected, so seek him there. What about your, uh, your friend on the other side of the political aisle? They're a moron, right? They have no idea what's going on. They're broken. They have no sense of history. They don't remember where we came from. They don't remember why. Blah, 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 blah. Can the Lord work through a Democrat? Can he work through a Republican? Lord, if he can't, we're all screwed, right? So seek the Lord in the unexpected place. Look to that person who's irredeemable. Maybe the Lord's working there. Children have a remarkable way of revealing mm, our need for spiritual growth. They start from conception. And as far as I know, we're 13 years in, almost 14. They're, I think that goes until me or Jenny go to the Lord. Marriage does the same thing. Marriage reveals how selfish I am. Every day, I have to wake up and look at this beautiful creature that God gave me, and I have to say, I will serve you above myself. I do that sometimes. And uh, sometimes I don't. Marriage does that. Friendships do that. Family does that. Anybody have an awkward moment over Thanksgiving? Just, if you're not, then over Christmas, just be like, I don't know, just start talking about the impeachment. Just see where it goes. Or just throw a grenade out there and just say, hey, uh, do you think abortion is wrong? Well, just throw it out there. Just blow up the whole room. Uh, family has a way of revealing our sin. The reason I say all these is because none of us has, unless you're a hermit who lives in the woods, and even there, good luck. You've got your own thoughts. You can't get away from those, unless you're totally crazy, in which case, it's probably a, not going to understand me anyway. But the Lord works in all of these places, in the face of a, of a nine-year-old who I feel like is just like butting against me all day long. And the Lord says, hey, are you going to, Fight against him or you're going to fight for him? Because I'm working in him. I know he's crazy. He's nine. Love him. I'm working in him. Seek him in the unexpected. What about your coworker that you just cannot stand to be around? 
Seek the Lord in those places. Seek him in the high places where no one thinks that the Lord is. Seek him in the low places and the people who live under bridges. And seek him in the middle places. You can, he's working through songs on the radio. He's working as we worship things in our country. He's still working. So seek him. As you go through this Christmas season, there's little moments that you're going to have. The Lord is working in all of those. Seek him where he's working. And then join him where he is. One of the beautiful things about Advent is that it's just the gospel. Jesus came to save us. We're walking by faith today, and we're looking forward to his return. Uh, on some days, I want Jesus to come back. Like I wake up, and I'm like, Lord, just I don't want to go through today, so come back before 4, and then all will be good. Other days, I'm like, Lord, this is the great day. Can come, come tomorrow, or while I'm sleeping, or, or if I'm praying for a lost friend that I've been praying for for 25 years. I'm like, Lord, just come when you're coming. The Lord is wonderful to never give us a timeline as for when he's going to return, but we know that he's returning. One of the beautiful things that he's given us to do is to share in the, the blessing of communion, where we take these simple, ordinary, unexpected elements, and we get to do something miraculous with them. For Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took this bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the wine and he poured it into the cup. And he said, this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. It is the cup of the new covenant. That every time you break this bread and drink this cup, you do so in remembrance of me until I return. As we take communion today, I want you to remember, one, that this is not a denominational table. This table is open to anyone who proclaims faith in the Lord Jesus. I want you to remember that Paul warns us, don't just come and take the bread and dunk it in the cup. And No, this is something that we're supposed to come to the Lord. Confess your sin to him. Don't just come to the Lord today if there are things that he's wanting you to do that you're refusing to do. Take this moment, this gift that he's given us. And surrender it to the Lord that the act of taking the bread and dipping it in the cup and eating it will be an act of worshipful surrender for you. And finally, let us remember that we do this looking back at what he did and with great expectation to where and when he is coming back for us. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the great gift of your son. Thank you, Jesus, for your life that you gave for us. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us to help us to live. Help us worship you as we celebrate this sacrament today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There are gluten-free options here. Would our servants, servers please come forward?